they completed their task, but um, they're stuck and they're being hunted. They're continuously being hunted. Uh, the NVA um, had spent had uh, special hunt teams, tracking teams, professional hunters, tr hunter trackers, and we're sitting back and we can't get them out. So around the fourth day, we tried to penetrate Laos. We couldn't. We we couldn't get past Koh Rock when the the, the weather was from the ground all the way up. To, you know, beyond 9,000 feet, just couldn't get in. It was fourth day, fifth day, same thing. We got in a little further on the fifth day, but had to turn around and come back. And I got to tell you, uh, we were getting severely depressed. Welcome to Heroes Behind Headlines. I'm your host, Ralph Pizzullo. Today, we're going to continue our interview with Roger Lockshear, former helicopter crew chief of the Black Angel Flight Team of the 101st Aviation Battalion, 101st Airborne Division, during 1968, the deadliest year of the Vietnam War. He's going to relate more amazing stories from his excellent book, We Save Sog Souls, 101st Airborne Missions in Vietnam and Laos during the Vietnam War, including the most amazing helicopter rescue you've ever heard. It's my great honor to welcome back Bronze Star, Purple Heart, and two-time Distinguished Flying Cross recipient Roger Lockshear as today's Hero Behind the Headlines. Heroes Behind Headlines with Ralph Pizzullo. This is all happening in 1968. Yes. When you get to the summer, when you get to June, you've been running missions mm -hmm. like nonstop. Nonstop. And usually, I think you get R&R &R every three months, something like that, right? Um, no. No? That didn't work that way? Yeah. No. Yeah. I, as far as I maybe maybe for married personnel, okay. I'm only guessing. Yeah, but as far as I know, yeah, it was only one R and R for your year tour. Oh wow! So your R and R is coming up. Yeah, and you had put into Australia. Yes, you end up going to Hong Kong instead. Yep, I went on R and R late June, mm -hmm. and um, I left to go on R and R. I had to go from Camp Eagle down to Benoit to our rear area, get my my clothes, and you know, summer khakis yeah and while i was down there um harper steve harper and uh this guy uh sherman johnson and levi reynolds and skip o'neill took a flight that i would have been flying yeah they got shot down they got banged up sherman got a broken leg uh harper got a lot of cuts and bruises, uh, nothing serious. Mm -hmm. uh, both the pilot and co-pilot were, were knocked out, but they all survived, okay? Yeah. So I would have been on that flight. That would have been my normal flight. Yeah. My aircraft uh, was in for major maintenance at the time. 
So anyway, when our, went on R and R, came back, got back on the fourth of July. By the time I got back up to Eagle, I was there, and it was um, mid mid afternoon or so, maybe a little later, and I was scheduled to to fly. Yeah, that that was on the roster to uh, get back into things, and. I, you know, my head wasn't in it. I mean, I, had, yeah. I I just got back, and yeah, yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't unusual for a crew chief or even or a door gunner to, you know, if he if he didn't want to fly for whatever reason. I mean, yeah. it's always volunteer. Yeah, um, if for a reason to to ask someone to take the flight for him, and yeah. and the pilots did the same thing. I mean, it was no big deal. So I asked my friend uh, Dave Eamond who was the only person uh, in our unit from Connecticut. He, he only lived, you know, 30 miles or so from where I lived. Mm-hmm. And if he would take the flight. Now, he was a short timer. He only had 30 days or whatever. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, he said, sure, he'd take it. So that evening, uh, when they're getting ready to go out, they were going to go out on a Firefly mission uh, after dark, you know. Yeah. So, time for them to to get on the flight line and head out. Um, Dave, whose bunk was just a couple down from me on my right hand side, Dave got up and he said, "I guess it's time to go." And he started walking out of the of the tent up in uh, Eagle. We we lived in tents. Yeah, and. And he stopped suddenly and he turned around and he was looking back and he's looking at, he was looking at me and I, I thought, you know, what the hell's going on? Yeah. And he didn't say anything. He just, he just nodded his head and turned around and left. Uh-huh. So Steve got up, Steve, his bunk was right on my left side. Steve got up and he said, well, chief, so if I'm going to die, I may as well die on my own ship. He didn't talk like that. Yeah. He used to tell me, he would tell me over and over, you got nothing to fear. Yeah. Because I'm going to protect you, and and the gook that's going to kill me hasn't been born yet. (laughs) You know. Yeah. Very confident guy. Yeah. 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 I mean, that was, and when he said that. Yeah. I mean, What a strange thing to say. Yeah. What a strange thing to say. Yeah. And, um, And he left. Less than an hour later, 45 minutes later, while there was a big ceremony going on, 4th of July celebration going on at headquarters area, which was across the way from us. We had a little a little bit shallow valley where there were a couple of um, uh, rice paddies yeah. and a berm up on the other side, and headquarters was, was over there. They were having a, a USO Christmas party over there, celebration. They had all... Uh, lights on staging up and speakers up on staging and stuff like that and loud music going and having a grand old time and uh, First Sergeant uh, Wojcicki came to me and he was walking fast and he had a really serious look on his face and he said Chief he said uh, your shift went down and he said Harper and Eamon and the two pilots are all dead. Wow. So that, that hurt. That, yeah. I, I could not believe it. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, so many things racing through my head. What have I done? Sure. I sent one of my best friends to his grave uh, by asking him to take the flight for me. Here the music is blaring. Yeah. The, the, the contrast of realities was just, I mean, it was almost overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. I was outside of our tent sitting on the ground, and I, I was just broke down. Yeah. And was just crying so hard. And it's so confused. And this music is blasting. And people are celebrating and having and a good time. they're celebrating and cheering over there. Wow. You know, um, and, and I just... I just lost the uh, the best friend, my best friend in the world. Yeah, my partner. Yeah, uh, one of my closest friends. Yeah, it was interesting that the um, outside of Dave Eamon, Steve, uh, Skip O'Neill, Levi Reynolds. This was the first time they they flew together since they got shot down mm. uh, just a couple weeks earlier. Mm-hmm. First time they flew. Wow! And as it turns out. Fella that was supposed to be flying as the air aircraft commander, fellow by the name of Tom Woods, he asked Levi to take the flight for him. Wow. Uh, because Tom was going on R and R uh the next morning. He asked Levi to take the flight for him. Yeah. Levi was he was one of the elderly men in our flight platoon. Uh he was um his late twenties, maybe early thirties, he had a couple kids. Mm-hmm. That was that was a hard time. That was wow. That was really a hard time, and I really went into a, a funk after I'm that. Sure. I'm sure that's rough. Really so, rough. Um, yeah, yeah. That was a bizarre. And time. they recovered. They recovered the bodies. Yes. Yeah. 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 They did, and they burned to death. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, it just. Uh, it was just a horrible, horrible, oh. horrible thing. Yeah. That's that's awful. I felt like my mind was going to explode. Yeah, yeah. You know, how could they be celebrating like this when yeah. they don't even know right. these people were just killed? Right, right, you know? right. And they're celebrating there. Yeah. Wow. But that's, that's, I mean, that's I, that's what combat is, right? Yeah. I really felt that I lost more than uh, just a partner mm-hmm. and friend. Uh, but I really thought that um, I lost, I kind of lost my security blanket also. Sure. You know, sure. uh, I trusted his skills so much. Yeah. Um, and he was so good. And you've been through so many close scrapes together. Yeah. So many. Yeah. So many. And, uh, and, and he would always, you know, he would always say, how many times do I have to tell you? <laughs> You're going to be okay. <laughs> well, now I wasn't. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Now I was. Yeah, so now you had to recruit a new partner. Yes, a new door gunner. Yeah, and poor Scott DeArmond, uh, who became my my partner, my second partner. Mm-hmm. It was not an easy an easy spot for him to fill because yeah. I was not in a good mood. Yeah, during that time period, I mean, I was really an angry character. Yeah, I had zero tolerance for. For those wanting to be, you know, come on board with me. Yeah, I really, which was unfair. I mean, I it, Yeah, you're you're a young guy. You got no, your family's not around. You got nobody to talk yeah. to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean that's exactly rough. because yeah. I mean there was unspoken. I mean, we operated without with un, with unspoken words. We operated yeah. Yeah. flawlessly and seamlessly. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Scott came along and. uh 
he was, uh, in personality-wise, he was a, about as far opposite of Harper <laughs> as one could be. That mm-hmm. uh, was uh, very, very outgoing. Um, I mean, quick to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was a, a happy, you know, a happy soul. Yeah. Very, you know, spirited. Thing they did have in common was he was very professional. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knew the M60s well. I um, I trained him on the weapons systems, uh, which I mean, he just took too naturally. Mm-hmm. And um, fortunately for me, that uh, he was there because uh, it, 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 the outcomes could have been very different. But yeah. I did realize uh, after after probably giving him an, uh, you know a hard time for a little while yeah that uh, that yeah he's he can be my partner and <laughs> <laughs> surprised that he wanted to <laughs> yeah 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 big big shoes to fill big shoes yeah, to fill well that yeah. was and yeah. and that was that was unfair yeah uh, but he took it all in his stride great. You know, um, he, he did. He took it all in his stride. He had the right personality. He wasn't trying to be yeah. Harper. He, not at all. That's Scott. That's him. That, he's his own person. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and he was also an experienced vet. Every time Roger's UE gunship was involved in a firefight, which happened often, he faced a good chance of being shot or having the helicopter he was in shot down. The Huey itself offered no special armor for a door gunner like Roger. Exposed as he was when firing his M60 machine gun, all he had for protection was the small chest plate and back plate body armor he wore, and the area where Roger sat in the helicopter as crew chief and door gunner was directly over the fuel cells under the floor panels. Additional fuel cells were located behind the back wall of the cabin. All the fuel cells were made of rubber and designed to be self-sealing when hit. But often, Roger wondered, how large of a hole were they capable of self-sealing? In total, the Huey Hog carried 242 gallons of JP4 jet fuel, a gasoline-kerosene mix which, though flammable, had a higher flashpoint than pure gasoline. Let's move ahead to uh, September. Yes. And get into the big mission. And if you could kind of set that up and take us through that. Yeah. So you have a new a new ship by now. Have a new ship. This ship is a um, what's called a hog or a pig <laughs> mm-hmm. because. It has a 40 millimeter cannon mount cannon mounted on the nose of the aircraft, mm-hmm. which gives it a funny appearance. Mm-hmm. And it's got the short barreled 40 millimeter cannon sticking out. Yeah. It looks like a pig. Yeah. I really <laughs> so it's called a hog or a pig. Yeah. And um, also, it carried two 18 shot rocket pods, one on each side instead of the normal seven. Mm-hmm. So this was a heavy, what they call a heavy gunship mm-hmm. uh, they also called it an uh, aerial artillery platform mm-hmm. because of the the high amount of ordnance that it had and uh, the firepower was unbelievable yeah um, the 40 millimeter cannon are you know it's a hand grenade yeah uh, 
that's popping them out. <laughs> so what we well we got that because we had you know been I had been running so many uh, missions for Sog, and I knew that was going to continue. Yeah. Um, I had the um, the container the ammo box for the forty millimeter expanded. I had it increased in height so we could carry more which we were now overloaded for sure as far as weight goes mm -hmm. um but i had it brought up to around 500 rounds wow instead of the normal 250 to 300 yeah um, yeah had it brought up. so a huge firepower yeah yeah so when we're on station i mean you can't go back rearm and yeah refuel i mean you got one sh you have one shot at it and you you stay until your winchester till you're out yeah. Uh, if need be. Yeah. Uh, and and for the doors, we carried that eighteen hundred rounds of belted seven six two on each for each door. So wow, we had we had a lot of firepower. Yeah. Uh, that's what I carried on the other gunship also, but yeah, uh, it's a lot of firepower. Yeah. And I couldn't tell you how many times we would come back, uh, whether the old gunship or or with this one, empty. I wow. mean, everything's expended. I mean, we're just. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, a lethal, a yeah. lethal aircraft. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, um, yeah, that, that was with the new aircraft. We were trying to, um, uh, Mylock was trying to get a team inserted into this particular area of Laos. And uh, we had tried twice before, uh, starting in August. Mm hmm. Couldn't get a team in. It was too saturated with NVA. Mm -hmm. uh, we tried setting up multiple LZs in advance. Yeah. Uh, uh, tried doing false insertions and then heading to the second. Couldn't do it. I mean, they were they were uh, one step ahead of us. The NVA were one step ahead of us every move. Hmm. Strange. And yeah. by this time, yeah, by this time we knew there was a mole somewhere. Yeah. in the in the system somewhere we didn't know where yeah. didn't know how yeah because this was happening yeah. um on a greater frequency yeah um and so september late september september 22nd we got to go ahead to launch the team into this area so we went out we were able to get the team in the SOG team that went into Northwestern Laos consisted of team leader or one zero Staff Sergeant Tom Schaff, Sergeant John Smitty Smith, First Lieutenant Mike Armstrong, and five Brew mercenaries. After three days on the ground, they had collected lots of information on NVA movements and had located truck parks, refuel areas, and large concentrations of North Vietnamese Army troops. The mission was supposed to last three days, but as the hours and then days ticked by and helicopter rescue teams were unable to fly because of the weather, Tom Schaff's team on the ground ran out of fuel, were soaked to the bone and exhausted, and thousands of NVA troops led by expert trackers and dogs were closing in on them. Roger and his crew members knew that if Schaff and his men weren't rescued soon, they would all be tortured and killed. Um, we were really far, uh, far into our our range of where we could actually operate and have enough to get back. 
we got the team in and uh, they were supposed to be on the ground for two days. And um, the weather in September, the monsoons up north had moved in and the weather locked them in. After two days, it, it, the weather was too bad. We couldn't even attempt to try to get them out. They completed their task, yeah, but um, they're stuck and they're being hunted. Yeah, they're continuously being hunted. Uh, the NVA um, had spent had uh, special hunt teams, mm-hmm. tracking teams, mm-hmm. professional hunters, tra- hunter trackers. Yeah, and we're sitting back and we can't get them out. So around the fourth day, we tried to penetrate Laos. We couldn't. We we couldn't get past Koh Rock when the, the, the weather was from the ground all the way up to, you know, beyond 9,000 feet. Just couldn't get in. Yeah. It was fourth day, fifth day, same thing. Wow. We got in a little further on the fifth day, but had to turn around and come back. And I got to tell you, uh, we were getting severely depressed yeah because we we had made that very serious commitment way back um early spring that if we put a team in we will get that team out yeah now we can't get them out yeah we can't get in to get them out yeah 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 and this is this is really bad yeah uh we knew that the team didn't have food yeah they didn't have water wow wow um that they carry with them we're talking about eight guys 10 guys yeah no, there were uh eight eight okay. there were three americans and five brew okay so the sixth day uh, we penetrate a little further in had to turn around and come back wow we had um uh the seventh day we almost couldn't get out of uh eagle because of the weather um nothing was flying but we were able to get clearance to fly up to Mylock, mm-hmm. and we did. Um, we had a hard time getting up there. I was worried that we were going to wander off into the uh, South China Sea <laughs> yeah. and just you know lose it, yeah. or wander up into North Vietnam. Yeah. Because, I mean, there were places where we were bogged out. We were just pilot was just running on instruments. Wow. So we made it. We got up there, and um, we got the go ahead that there was a clearing. Mm-hmm. in the area so we loaded up headed out had i mean had the feeling i mean finally i mean it's like yeah yeah big pressure cooker being released we're, we're finally able to, to get into action we took a lot of anti-aircraft fire going out we took a tremendous amount and um part way out there about halfway out there um i'm looking out the clouds below us and the fog and whatnot and the sun was up overhead to where we were flying to the like to the right Mm -hmm. and it was casting a an image a shadow down in the clouds down below Mm -hmm. and the way the sun was and the way the shadow was there was a what looked like perfectly made target wow with color you know the color yeah and our image, our shadow of the helicopter, it's right smack into it. <laughs> oh, God. 
And I thought, oh, oh this is not a good sign. <laughs> so I, I called Scott, and yeah. I said, Scott, come Look over here. You got yeah. to see this. Yeah, yeah. So he came over and he said, oh, shit, this is not good. Wow. <laughs> this wow. is not a good sign. Yeah. But anyway, so we motor along. We get out there. The team's being chased. Yeah. Here they had been evaded detection for all this time, but now they're being chased. Yeah. We are maybe a mile from the LZ as we're circling and getting our approach. We pass through a, a, a semi-cleared area where the terrain, the vegetation was really sparse. And here are a horde of NBA and full combat gear on a dead run. Wow. Towards the direction we're going. So I opened up um, and I'm trying to take down as many as I possibly can. They were so disciplined, they never fired back. Wow. They were just they just kept so going. going to the objective. Going. Just going to their objective. Yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking, man, these guys are these guys are tough. Yeah. There's a train. Yeah. We get we get to the to the um LZ. The team is fighting for their lives. I mean, the NBA are all over them. So Tim Schaff gets a small orange panel out on the LZ. The pilot, we talked to the pilot, the slick pilot, and uh, he's, he's all set. So we go in ahead of the slick, and we're laying down a heavy gun run. We're just loading it, and... There's many of the NBA we could see, um, a lot we couldn't see because of the jungle. But we can see all the the um, the muzzle flashes and everything. Mm -hmm. We're taking some hits. And um, the slick comes in just before he comes to a complete hover above the uh, LZ. He pulls power and pulls away from the LZ. And it's like, what the heck just happened? Yeah. Now, the slick, you know, we should explain to people, is the rescue. It's a UE slick. It's a troop carrier. Yeah. Okay. Um, it has a door gun, two door guns, M60 door guns. But that's it. It's it's not an, what you call the armed helicopter. Right. right. Uh, it's strictly a troop carrier. It's going in there to pick up the team. Yeah. Normally, you would pick up two. You would use two um, slicks to pick up the team. Yeah. Uh, but in this case, there, I mean, it just wasn't just one. The situation we had two more yeah. uh, slicks, but um, they were chase what we call chase or emergency slicks. So the pilot was new yeah. to um, these this type of operations to SOG. He pulled power and pulled away. Wow! And I, I couldn't I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I mean these these NBA are just massing around this area and he pulled away god and the team's on the ground the team's on the ground they're going to be wiped out in a matter of minutes there is no way they can't avoid it so uh, jim whitman across the radio said what the hell just happened yeah and uh, the slick pilot said if i stayed there any longer i would have been shot down yeah I can't, I can't pick up the team. And Tim Schaff, listening, he's on the ground listening. And he said, if you don't get, get us out now, we're never coming out. Yeah. Which was true. I mean, it, yeah. there was no, no question. So our pilot, so Jim 
goes on the radio and he he tells the slave pilot, he said, if you don't go back in right now, I'm going to shoot you down myself. Wow. I believe he meant it. I yeah. honestly, <laughs> it sounds I think like it. it. I yeah. Think, yeah. I think he would have, he would have taken it down. Yeah. Um, and he said, listen, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, he's telling the slick. So we're going to pace alongside of you. We're not going to lead you in. We're going to come in alongside you. We're going to put ourselves between you and the heaviest amount of gunfire coming up. Yeah. You've got to get the team. We'll follow you in. We'll hover. We'll come to a hover if we need to. Yeah. With the gunship. And I'm thinking, man, we're sitting ducks. Yeah. We're yeah. Yeah. But it's the only way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we got to get these guys out of there. Yeah. So we set up the next gun run. And as we're coming in and making our gun run and we're slowing our speed, we're matching the slick as it's slowing down. We're getting hammered. We are getting hammered so bad. Yeah. Um, I, I can feel I, I can feel us getting ripped apart. Yeah. Uh, I'm out in a skid firing away. Scott's doing the same. And I, I I felt like like my M60 was operating in slow motion. I mean, I can see these hundreds of bullets coming up at us. Yeah. And muzzle flashes. And I can see my M60 spitting out. It's like I you know, I can't keep I can't get it out fast enough. Yeah. Somewhere around that point, my head got snapped back. I didn't, you know, think anything. I mean, I was really intense, you know, focused. Yeah. And I felt like everything was happening in slow motion. Yeah. I felt like everything. I mean, I can, the ones that I could see, I could see every one that I'm dropping. Wow. The ones I can't see, I can see the muzzle flashes. Yeah. And now I feel that we're starting to shake. Yeah. The aircraft, the helicopter is, is, yeah. in, is in bad shape. Yeah, yeah. Tim got the team on board, the slick. The, the firing the, the, was so intense that John Smith, one of the three Americans, when he went to get up into the slick, he reached up and grabbed a hold of Mike Armstrong's Car 15 barrel, which was smoking hot. <laughs> and he pulled himself on board. I mean, he burned burned up his hand. Yeah. But, um, but they were right on them. I mean, they were on them and we were we almost came to a hover they were almost on us yeah um and slick pulled away we pulled away and there's we're still getting hit we felt like we hit a speed bump turns out we had gotten hit with a 37 millimeter uh anti-aircraft round Mm. didn't explode yeah and I think it didn't explode because it didn't have enough distance. It hadn't fired for, it hadn't traveled enough distance to arm itself. Yeah. That's the only thing, unless it was a dud. Because you were so close. Because we were so close to it. I mean, it was 50 calibers that yeah. I could hear the 12.4, the 12.7 uh, millimeters going that were banging on us. So we got we got out of there. The slick calls a mayday. Well, he he was right. He was going to get shot down, <laughs> and he did. Yeah. He, he called a mayday. We're trying to keep up with with the slick, still trying to protect it. Yeah. And so we're following it. He's losing altitude. He's losing power. We're losing power. Um, I can feel it. Our our aircraft felt like it was going to shake itself apart. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew the main rotor was really severely damaged because. 
had that low frequency mm-hmm. series vibration that you could feel on your, your body, your whole body. Mm. I could feel the tail rotor, which is high frequency vibrations when it gets damaged. It had to be seriously damaged because my feet were tingling. All the alarms are going off and lights are flashing. The slick crash landed short distance from this open field area. In the open field area, there were four longhouses, North Vietnamese longhouses. We were in the middle of a high concentration of North Vietnamese. It's like a headquarters area. Yeah. We dumped everything we had into those longhouses before we crashed. Uh, we sent the rockets into it. We sent the, the 40 millimeter. Uh, the buildings are exploding. There are NVA coming out of the buildings and like like I mentioned in the book, it's like ants yeah. coming out of an anthill. Yeah. And Scott and I are taking down as many as we can and we crash. Yeah. We crash into a bamboo thicket. And then we we were on fire. Covey called, said hair lead. Our call sign was hair, like H A R E, like a rabbit. Yeah. Um Covey, uh, Pat Watkins was riding in Covey. He said, Hair lead, you're on fire. And, and I I look back and sure enough, I mean there's flames coming out of the engine compartment and out of the the, the cone, the tail cone. So, you know, we're we're in really bad shape. Yeah. We crashed, didn't explode. Wow. Which was another miracle in itself. Yeah. Didn't explode. The um some of the, the damage that we sustained, I suspect that our fuel control unit which is like a fuel injection unit for a vehicle. Yeah. Fuel control unit, I suspect, got hit and subsequently stopped pumping fuel uh-huh. to the engine. I mean, that's the only thing that yeah. I can imagine. Because if it would continue pumping fuel while we crashed, it would have just blown up. Yeah, sure. So I, I'm guessing, I have no way of knowing, but I'm yeah. guessing that yeah. was it. We're on the ground. I got knocked unconscious for a few moments. When I, I came to and um, started putting things together in my head, I looked down and I see my uh, watch. I had a Seiko watch laying on the uh, floor, um, broken with a broken band. And next to it is St. Christopher medal that I wore around my neck, uh, laying right next to it. No chain. I don't know where the chain <laughs> My my bracelet that I had from Dow, the brass bracelet, yeah. it was gone. I don't know where it went, what happened to it. So I grabbed the watch and I grabbed my St. Christopher medal and put it in my pocket, took my M60 and uh, started our standard procedure, which we had practiced many times before for such an event. Yeah, I would turn, I would go in uh, the co-pilot side, the left side, turn off all the radios, zero them all out. Jim Whitman would grab the maps and any of the documents, uh, code books and whatnot. He would grab them. Um, and then I would open up the avionics compartment in the front and just shoot up the radios as much as I could. Yeah. And try to destroy as much as I could. Scott would go into the compartment just behind the cargo compartment and grab the um, survival kit. Yeah. It was in a, a, a pack like a medic's pack type of thing yeah and uh had various survival materials in it in case we need to make a run for it yeah which we didn't know at this point if we were to run or what yeah 
while this is going on, our um, gunship, our, our wing ship, made a pass by and a gun run on the NVA that were charging us um, and left. And it was basically running out of fuel, running low on fuel. It, uh, yeah. We thought we were going to have to make a run for it. Scott and I are firing through the bamboo in the direction where we could hear these NVA charging and where we knew they were they were coming from. And um, they, in turn, they were firing back in our direction, not knowing exactly where we were, but had an idea. Some of it was going really high. Others was off to the side. Uh, but we could hear the effect of our, the impact of our shooting on, on the NVA. All of a sudden, there's a, a helicopter hovering above above us and out come four McGuire rakes. It's just a rope with a, yeah. a, a sewn-in web seat in the bottom, 125-foot yeah. length of rope with a, a block, cement block on the end. And, yeah. <laughs> and right after the ropes come out, here comes Dick Crawford flying out of the, the slick and landing on the ground. He always, always. And he's the, he's the doctor. Yeah. 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 He o- always claimed that he fell out. That when they were getting <laughs> shot at, he yeah. lost his, his grip and he fell out. They said, because nobody in their right mind would ever get him <laughs> on the ground in that situation. I don't believe him. Yeah. I think he was. He was acting on impulse. Yeah, yeah. You know, on training, on re- just reaction. Yeah. He didn't know. Nobody knew if any of us were dead, yeah. wounded. Yeah. What what the situation was. But anyway, he's on the ground now. We've got four ropes, <laughs> four McGuire rigs, and five people. <laughs> this isn't going to work too well. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, he helped. He helped um, the co-pilot Chapman get into his. He, Chapman, had never used a McGuire rig. He didn't know anything about him. He thought there, he he just thought there was so much rope. Yeah. He cut his. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> and when he realized his uh, his error, he retied it, retied it so that he could sit in the woven seat. It's just shorter now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and anyway, uh, Crawford uh, tied himself to me and uh, we got lifted up out of there just as we we're coming off the ground before we cleared the bamboo the bamboo is about 100 feet before we cleared the bamboo um nva come running into the clearing below us with their ak-47s on full auto and they're just shooting up at us wow um I still had my M60, and I had a, a length of uh, belted ammo. Scott, who his weapon of choice was his, he had an M79 grenade launcher mm-hmm. with one, one round in it. Yeah. only takes one. I fired at the uh, NVA below us and dropped, dropped them. Scott, they were continuing. Scott uh, fired off his M79. It exploded in the clearing. It was just enough, I guess, to uh, give us a couple moments to get out of there. Wow. And um, my M60 jammed after around six rounds or so. Jeez. And um, so I just dropped it. It was useless. Plus, it's heavy. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, how are you holding that? 
just one hand because you have to yeah yeah have to hang on to the the rope you yeah. have to hang on to the mcguire rig because if you don't hang on you're going to flip over yeah and drop yeah and and crawford would have gone with me yeah so that's a tremendous weapon that you're it is it is i mean we had it stripped down we had the bipods removed we had the big um butt stock removed it yeah. was stripped down as much as it can but it was still yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. and it was useless now yeah you know the, yeah this extreme angle yeah. that I was, I was firing with and hanging onto the rope. It jammed. Yeah. Yeah. So I let it go. Uh, Crawford used to give me a hard time and said, the reason he's deaf, um, in his right ear is because I was firing that damn M60 <laughs> alongside of his head. <laughs> and I would always remind him, yeah, you may be deaf, but you're still, you're alive. still alive. That's right. Man. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, we cleared. Wow. We cleared the tracks, and wow. um, and the adventure is not over. It is far from over. Yeah. Um, we continued to get shot at the entire distance. We had a forty-five minute ride back, and um, traveling at a slow speed because of all the drag. Yeah. That's being caused. Yeah. And um, also the altitude. Eventually, we're up to around eight thousand feet. Wow. And uh, it's cold. Yeah, yeah. Windy. Yeah, you know. Yeah, my uh, my arm, uh, my left arm. Uh, after we're up about fifteen minutes, and we're getting air bursts around us constantly, constantly getting these big cannon fire air bursts. Look like a, a, a scene out of World War Two. Wow. With the air bursts. Wow. And you've got no protection whatsoever. No. Now. Yeah. No protection Completely whatsoever. Exposed. Neither does the, the slick. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're all vulnerable. We're yeah. just putting along around 55 miles an hour, <laughs> 60 miles in the air. I mean, that's yeah. almost standstill. <laughs> <laughs> so all of a sudden, my left arm just dropped. It just went dead. And right around the same time, I realized that I didn't have any feeling in my legs. And uh, my first thought is I must have must have got a, a shrapnel in the back and didn't realize it or a bullet or something. Yeah. And I'm I'm looking down at Crawford to see if if I've got blood dripping on him. Yeah. And I don't see anything. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on. But I I'm now I'm hanging on with with one one hand. And it's not long before uh that hand starts cramping up. Yeah. And I can't let go. Yeah. Because that's you and Crawford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My other arm's dead. Yeah, you know? yeah. So we're a long ways from home, a long ways from the border. Um, the closest outpost was going to be southeast of Quezon. I mean, it was nobody at Quezon. It's, it's totally abandoned. Yeah. So, um, and I'm hurting. I'm hurting big time. My head is feels like it's going to explode, and my back and my body is like one big giant pain. I mean, it, I'm just hurting bad, and my arm is is cramping, and I'm thinking that uh, I'm going to end up, you know, dropping out of this this uh, McGuire rig, and I'll be taking Crawford with me um, the nine thousand feet. Um, and thinking that my family's never going to know. Yeah, 
what happened? Uh, they're never going to get my body. Yeah. And like I say, I'm, I'm hurting. Yeah. So I'm reaching like my limit. And I thought to my, I thought to myself and, and I said, a I said a short prayer and I, I just said, Lord, some, something to the effect of Lord, if you choose for me to survive this day, I will never, ever doubt your existence again. I, I no sooner got those words out of my mouth that I felt, I felt like a blanket was dropped over me. Wow. Like a, like a warm blanket. Wow. And with that, I mean, I was warm. Yeah. I mean, because you're I, cold. I was freezing. You're yeah. out 8,000, 9,000 feet. Yeah. 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 And my, my arm doesn't hurt. Yeah. I mean, holding the rope. Yeah. And I, I can feel me holding it, but it's not cramped. Wow. I mean, it's, it's like nothing. I'm just hanging on. Wow. My body's not hurting. My yeah. head's not pounding. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking around and, and it's like, wow. <laughs> and this, is, this is really, yeah. this is really surreal. This is I profound. mean, I'm, I'm yeah. like in a different, a different mind altogether. Yeah. Um, I wasn't afraid anymore. Yeah. I wasn't uncomfortable and I'm just enjoying the ride. I'm wow. just observing. I'm watching the, the explosions taking place, but it's all like, it was like watching a movie. Yeah. You know, like an out of body type of thing. Right. And, um, I was fine till we, we got back inside of Vietnam and it dropped us off. Wow. So, um, interesting thing when we got back to, to the Marine outpost where they dropped us down. Uh, the, the pilot who was also fresh first time out. <laughs> first time he, he was, he was good though. Yeah. He was young, a yeah. young pilot. He's yeah. only like 20 years old. Jeez. First time. out. Yeah. And, um, he misjudged the altitude and the, the, the amount we were hanging below. And, and he kind of dragged us through the concertina wire. Uh, coming onto the base. Well, not us. Yeah. Actually, it was Crawford. Yeah. But for some miraculous reason, he didn't get he didn't get tore up. His, his clothes got sliced. Yeah. He got a, a few scratches, but yeah. not even what you call cuts. Gee. Um, wow. wow. He could have been shredded. Oh it God. Oh yeah. Horrible. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, and then when he put us down, as soon as he put us down. The aircraft ran out of fuel. It totally ran out of fuel. Oh my god! And he had he had to do a, a flared, you know, yeah. landing. Of course, he was only a hundred feet off the ground, but yeah, um, ran out of fuel. And I found out years later, just a few years ago, that when he was hovering above us before we got into the rigs, mm -hmm. when he first came to a hover, his low fuel warning light came on. And that means 20 minutes of fuel. Yeah. Now we're 45 minutes of flight time <laughs> and we're not moving yet. They said he doesn't, to this, to this day, he doesn't understand what happened, how that could be. Yeah. Um, but wow. anyway, wow. when he set us down and he looked over at us, I, when I tried to get up, I couldn't get up Yeah. because I was paralyzed. My arm was, was, was useless. My legs were we were dead and he thought 
that he broke my legs when he set me down, sent mm-hmm. us down. Mm-hmm. All these years, and this is all these years up until about three or four years ago when I talked to him mm-hmm. uh, for the first time, he thought that he he broke my legs. Wow. Because um, <laughs> we all separated right yeah, away. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. I ended up in the hospital. Me and Scott ended up in the hospital. Um, and, the, you know, the pilot, the slick pilot, he's from a different company. He was from the 101st Airborne. Yeah. But there was no interactions, direct interactions between the gun company and the slick company. Right, right. Um, yeah. So he never knew the truth all these years. Wow. He lived with, he, he, he told me that he lived with the guilt Gosh. that he he was responsible for breaking my life. Since <laughs> you were responsible for saving my life. Yeah, buddy. Complete opposite. Yeah. Complete opposite. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. Um, wow. it was it was quite a miraculous That is a miraculous in wow. so many in so many ways. Wow. And wow. One everyone that was involved with that, everyone that had monitored the radios that were going on, communications say that there was one miracle after another after another after another and just know wow. how wow we, we through it all of us yeah uh even the, the team members none of them even got a scratch really wow wow <laughs> <laughs> that's just incredible wow it is it is just incredible it's just incredible wow. it, it just, so i i imagine you're a, a spiritual man as a result in in my own way, I keep it to myself. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, no, nobody, uh, nobody could shake my no. spiritual belief. Yeah, not after an experience like that. <laughs> right. no. I'd be too afraid to uh, yeah. to put it to a challenge. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it, that's that's a personal, my, my personal. Of course, of course. You know, um, uh, but yes, um, yeah. that. I have no no explain. I just know what happened. Yeah, yeah. And know what happened to me. Wow. You know. Wow. So yeah, it's pretty. And and all those that were involved, like I say, all all felt the same way that there, there had to be divine intervention at at some level. I mean, it just yeah, yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Too many things. Right. Too many things. Wow. Everything yeah. kind of fell in your favor. They did. Yeah. They did. And the worst of, of times, and and even even with getting taking a shot to the head, and I didn't realize it at the time. And before we crashed, Scott, our communications inside the aircraft was was destroyed. We couldn't talk. Yeah. So he he just he was pointing to me and pointing to my side of my head. And when I reached up and I I felt this big gash in the side of my helmet. Um, you know, <laughs> a half inch difference. I mean, it would have. Yeah. Even though it's a ballistic helmet, I mean, it can only take so much. Sure. Wow. But yeah, I mean, just one thing. Was there a long recovery after that? Or No. Actually, when I was in the hospital, they did the x-rays. I was still um, paralyzed. Yeah. And they couldn't find anything visible. Um, and then and the doctors ultimately um, thought that it was a spinal bruise oh a bruising to the to the spine or to the spinal cord right more. right um and that uh, hopefully in time the feelings would start coming back yeah well um sometime during the night that first night in the hospital i started getting 
feeling my my, st- my arm started hurting something yeah. off yeah. you know when your arm falls asleep and yeah it's come sure back. oh yeah 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 i can tell you it never felt so good I to bet. have that pain wow like i still have feeling <laughs> the next day yeah. uh the same happened with with my legs yeah uh they hurt something awful uh but boy i'll tell you that was a that was a good feeling <laughs> <laughs> wow wow yeah so it, it came back i mean i you know we got the um you know some i get a lot of aches and pains and yeah all that kind of stuff and arthritis in the neck and uh, in the back yeah but no i can deal with that yeah i can deal with that you know yeah amazing. and i also had you know from that point on it would have been plagued with migraines yeah but um again I, I when when I first got set on the ground at that marine outpost, and I realized how serious my injuries might have been, I thought, "Oh shit, I'm paralyzed." Yeah, and I no sooner said that than I thought, "You, you idiot, you're alive. <laughs> you ungrateful." <laughs> That's right. That's right. And then I, you can't then I get felt everything. Okay. You can't have everything. Yeah, you can't have everything. <laughs> right. everything. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. So, wow. So yeah, a lot of emotions go through your head. There were lots of heroes that day, including Staff Sergeant Tim Schaff and the rest of his SOG team. But perhaps the bravest of them was Dick Doc Crawford, who, when Roger's UE gunship crashed with NVA bullets flying from all directions, jumped 25 feet from a hovering Huey Slick to help rescue the wounded men. Doc Crawford maintains that he fell out, but Roger believes that because Crawford was a dedicated medic, he jumped out to treat the wounded men, men that to this day and beyond will always be bonded together. That was our um, most um, intense of all the all the missions. Yeah, that one was. But we got him out. We got the guy. Yeah, out. yeah. Well, I saw Mike Armstrong at uh, at SOAR. He was there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brew. He's he's Brew, right? He calls himself Brew. Well, yeah. But he's he spoke the language. Yeah. Yeah. He was telling he me. Spoke- He's like a, he's gone back and he's he spent time and he's studied it and yeah yeah he's he's quite an amazing guy yeah incredible guy yeah 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 no, he, he's good he's yeah. good yeah and he he also uh, he also told me back in 2011 uh, when I was brought into SOAR that I asked him about Dao and the people and sadly. Uh, Mike said that his understanding is that Dow's village, there were two brew villages there at Mylock. Um, when the NVA came through, they killed everybody, uh-huh. every living thing, um, all the brew yeah. that were still there yeah. in both villages, yeah. all the animals, children, every, everything that they uh-huh. just destined. Which was heartbreaking. Yeah, that's horrible. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Mike, Mike spoke the language. Yeah, I want to get him on the podcast. Very, such an interesting guy. Yeah, I spoke to him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was one of the guys you rescued. 
Yeah, Mike Armstrong. He was a lieutenant. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was on the ground. Wow. And uh, Tim Schaff, who was the uh, one zero, the team leader, has some interesting insight on uh, on Mike being on the team. Yeah. Uh, that made him very made Tim very uncomfortable, not because of skill, but because of size. Uh huh. <laughs> because Mike is a big man. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and. And Tim said, "How how in the hell was I going to cover up his these big giant footsteps? <laughs> <laughs> these footprints and things." <laughs> but it's uh, it's pretty funny. Wow, yeah, pretty funny. So a couple months later, you leave. Yeah, your tour is over. Yeah, and the transition from Vietnam to stateside, I mean, from such an incredible, intense, life changing experience like that. To come back to normal life, it just must be mind blowing. Yeah, it was very hard, and um, it wasn't normal life for me. Yeah, normal life was being in a gunship. Yeah, that was my normal life. Yeah, and going from being in the military in a combat zone to being dumped on the street in a matter of hours. Yeah was um was not a good thing yeah yeah in there the military's infinite wisdom <laughs> they forgot they didn't take in consideration that you know we may need some decompression time and yeah lots of decompression time yeah. lots of yeah. decompression time yeah. and support yeah you know yeah um I, I found myself one of the darkest days of my life was um on a morning that I was released from the military down at Fort Dix, New Jersey. I'm standing outside. It's November 30th, freezing cold. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't give me a overcoat. They, I had I had my winter greens on. Yeah, but with no overcoat. Yeah, and I had been awake for the better part of several days. Yeah, you know. Um, so my resistance and my mental, you know, acuteness and wellness was probably at a very low sure, point. Sure. And I'm standing there waiting for family to come down from Connecticut to pick me up. And I'm standing there and I'm in a uniform, but I'm not a soldier anymore. They made that clear. I signed out. Wow. I'm supposed to be a civilian, but I'm not a civilian. Yeah. I'm here in a uniform. Yeah. I don't know what it's like to be a civilian. I've been in intense training for the past three years. Yeah. You know, and it, it, that was, I, I felt like a man without a country. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I was, I lost my, my personal knife that I, my dagger that was awarded to me. Yeah. That was taken, um, and that was always part of me. Yeah. I mean, I would always reach down and, yeah, it's there. <laughs> you know, um, that was gone. Um, you know, I, I, I basically lived with my my 38. Before that was a, a 45, Colt 45 military. Um, I slept with that on my chest. And I slept with the 38 on my chest every night. Yeah. 
and now, you know, what am I? Yeah. Right? Yeah. What am I supposed to do now? Yeah. How am I supposed to act? Yeah. I really felt alone. I really, really felt alone. Wow. So the transition w- was a tough one. Yeah. It was really tough. I didn't, I didn't expect the, the amount of negativity. Yeah. About towards soldiers. Yeah. I mean, I experienced some of it. Yeah. Before the Vietnam, I experienced some. Yeah. But I didn't, you know, I was proud. Of course. I had known I had done some amazing things. Absolutely. That very few people on the planet uh, have done. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to work with some of the most amazing, incredible, brave, talented men, military people that the, the earth has ever seen. Yeah. But that's, you know, nothing. Yeah. Right now. No, people were just dismissing that completely. Yeah. 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 Just just nothing. Yeah. Fortunately for me, my saving grace was that um, the the person that was going to be my wife was still waiting. Wow. That, for me, was a lifesaver Mm -hmm. because um, I truly believe that she gave me a focus besides myself mm-hmm. and the fact that she was very tolerant and very yeah. understanding yeah. and also that you know she was a fighter she yeah. would not allow me to do stupid things yeah, yeah. you know yeah yeah sure um, sure if if i didn't have that support i don't know what may have happened yeah um, i really don't yeah. I, I i've always felt that um she was responsible for keeping me alive wow you know you know and a lot of people didn't have that support no that's right a lot of people and and a lot of people you and i know um burned through their first wife yep yep you know yep and they know it was their fault of course they do so that's more guilt you know? yeah 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 um so I, I was very, very fortunate. And then uh, we, we got married just um, uh, February 1st. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Got engaged. So yeah, right we away. Got engaged. Yeah. And, and well, <laughs> I, I, she's responsible for that. She said, I'm not going to wait any longer. <laughs> I, I waited while you were gone for a year. Yeah. I don't, don't want to wait. And, and it was the best thing that could have happened. To, it really was. Yeah, it yeah. really was. Because I was... I was still pretty lost. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know. How do you reconcile that? I mean, to have had such a an amazing experience, a life-changing experience, so intense, uh, such strong bonds with the people that you're with and in a place that is so completely different. Mm. You know, how do you just come back and flip a switch? Hard. You can't do it. No, you can't. It was hard. Yeah. And, and I... And I couldn't talk to anybody about it either. Yeah, that makes it even worse. Yeah. It made it worse. Yeah. And I, and I didn't have any connection with the SF guys. Yeah, yeah. And when did that start, Roger? When when did you reestablish the connection? Early 2011. Mm-hmm. On a Sunday evening. I had just gone to bed. It's probably 10 o'clock at night. Phone rings. And I answer the phone. And the person on the other end said, uh, is this... Roger Lockshare. And I said, yeah, who's calling? And he said, well, um, I'd like to know, is this Roger Lockshare that 
served with the 101st Airborne Black Angels. Now, there's only a hand, handful of people in the world that know that yeah. group. Yeah. So I knew this this had to be legit. Yeah. But but still, all the red flags are going off in my head. <laughs> yeah. And I said, uh, yeah, it is. He said, oh, man. He said, this is Scott. This is Scott Diarman. <laughs> wow. So we proceeded to have a, a, a wonderful conversation. Yeah. He called me because he's he's been involved with BVA, Vietnam Veterans of America, yeah. right from the onset. Yeah. Um, and he was, um, at this time, he was home recovering from a knee surgery operation. And he was online doing some kind of search. And he came across a site where some people from special forces were looking for uh, looking for me. They, yeah. they had my name. Yeah. Um, they didn't have Scott's name. They had Whitman's name. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were looking for the crew that participated in an event that took place on September 28th. <laughs> so with that, um, he put me in contact with uh, with Crawford, wow. who we were we were friends back then. Yeah, and uh, so I talked. I talked to Crawford. I, we were on the phone, and uh, to know this guy is to uh, to know this guy. Yeah. yeah, he's he's passed away now. He yeah. passed away a couple years ago. He was the poster boy for bull in a in a china shop. <laughs> Yeah. He was gruff. Yeah. He was rough. He had uh zero tolerance for most things. But an extremely intelligent fella. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was trying to reconnect with us mm-hmm. because he said that we had been put in for some awards way back in the day, but um, something happened, and they just disappeared. Mm-hmm. So at the time, he was working with um, Senator Bill Nelson out of Florida. Oh, yeah. He was working through his office. Yeah. And uh, so now this is out of the blue, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, 40-odd years after the fact. Yeah. And he said, I need you to give me your Social Security number. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what? He said, I need you to give me your social security number. Yeah. I said, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, really? <laughs> it, 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 it's got to it's gotta happen. He said, I got to get it to, to Senator Nelson. Yeah. Um, and I said, listen, um, not that I don't trust you. Yeah, yeah. But I don't trust you. <laughs> really? I've, I've seen said, it 40 years, buddy. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> I mean, he was a character way back then. Yeah, yeah. Never mind what's happened in between. Anyway, um, long story short, um, Senator Nelson sent me from his office a bunch of papers and documents and all this sort of thing uh, where I could see it was legit. Yeah, and I yeah. wasn't sending the Crawford directly. Right. They were going to Senator Nelson. Yeah. Long story short, um, I was awarded a uh, distinguished flying cross. Wow. That mission. Yeah. As was Scott. Um, Jim Whitman 
received Silver Star. Unfortunately, uh, he had passed away around 2009 mm -hmm. in a private plane accident. Oh, oh. Sad after all he yeah, had been through. Yeah, yeah. And he and make it matters even worse. He was returning home from his daughter's wedding. Oh. And uh, so anyway, he received it uh, posthumously. Uh, his son and daughter, one of his daughters, uh, were there at SOAR to receive it. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I received a bronze star for my work with uh, Mylock. Yeah. Wow. During that well time. Deserved. So that's how I got reconnected. Yeah. And 2011, when I reconnected with uh, SOA, it opened up a whole new world for me, sure. a, a world that was hidden yeah, yeah. for all these years. Yeah. And now I had people that could validate my experiences. Mm -hmm. Before then, yeah. I mean, I, I was sworn to secrecy <laughs> for 20 years. And then if I were to come out after 25 years and tell people I know, oh, yeah, did I ever tell you I was? Be, yeah, I'm sure. Right. Sure, Roger. Yeah, sure you were. Yeah, sure you were. I was hanging yeah. from a rope, and yeah, yeah, eight thousand yeah, sure feet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, sure you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it filled a gap in my life that was that was really missing an ache, and mm -hmm. uh, so it it really that triggered um, the thoughts of writing the book again because I had considered uh, writing it. Um, several times, not as a book, but more as notes yeah. for my children and my grandchildren. Yeah. My yeah. sons didn't know yeah. Yeah. what I had been involved with. Yeah. Uh, my wife really didn't know. She had some, you know, yeah. dips and dabs, dibs and dabs here and there. Right. Didn't right. really know. Right. So, um, yeah, connecting in 2011 with all these people um, really set things in motion. It really was a healing Wow. For me. Wow. And a justification and validation. I mean, can yeah. you imagine going for over 40 years no. without someone being able to validate? No, no, no. Something that was significant in your life? No, no. Crazy. Um, so crazy. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it really set a lot of things into motion, a lot of healing in, in motion for sure. And now you're writing an, another book, you said. I am. Uh -huh. I am. I'm just about done with it. I'm probably. Uh, I'm hoping to release it in uh, January. Okay. Well, I hope when the book comes out, we we get to do this again because this oh, has I been hope so. this has been fantastic, Roger. Uh, thank you so much. Oh, and I, I wanted to. There was a quote from uh, Lieutenant Colonel Smith: "The Army took us out of combat, but they never considered taking the combat out of us." Yeah, which is, uh, I think, a very you know, pretty profound uh, statement. It is. Yeah. It is. And I found it so profound. Yeah. Hearing it from him. Yeah. Who was a career special forces soldier. Yeah. Officer. Yeah. High ranking. He had the exact same feeling. Yeah. Yeah. That I had, you know, it's exactly the same. And I, I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. You know, they were, he would be thinking in the same. Well, I, I speak to, you know, vets from afghanistan iraq world war ii even and uh everybody has that experience it seems yeah everybody has that experience and uh yeah it seems as though you know there's more understanding of that but um mm -hmm. it's it's been a long time coming 
and it's still yeah. uh, I think a lot of people don't you know just don't get it and uh, I think a lot has been learned what what people like myself mm-hmm. I mean I'm not unique to yeah. it. I mean we all you know went through went through that the you know American legions didn't want us in there. <laughs> Crazy. In their realm, Crazy. because we weren't from a real war, oh, you know. God. The BFWs, uh, that's not. I mean, it's it's unfair to make a blanket statement, but that was no. General. I know, I know, no, no. It was it, Vietnam was the 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 war of shame. Yeah, yeah. And, and to hear these stories now, like yours, of of such incredible dedication and bravery, I mean, it just sort of shatters that that idea. Yeah. Yeah, so and it's it's interesting, and 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 I think I think the public and the military has learned a lot yeah, as a result. I, I mean, they still so. repeat some of the same yeah. stupid mistakes. Yeah, but um, but at least they have they've come a long way. At least they honor the Afghan vets when they come home. They don't have to hide. Right. 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 Know? Right. Right. Um, and 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 that's a good thing. It's a similar experience in a lot of ways. Mm. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, so as a country, we have, we still have a lot to learn, but we're, we're but yeah. we're, we're learning, I think, yeah, which is yeah. the hopeful sign, yeah. yeah. Yes, it is. This has been really, really great, Ralph. I really appreciate. It. Thank you, Roger. You know, God bless you and your family, and and thanks for sharing. You know what you've been through, and thanks for your service to our country. Thank you. I appreciate. It amazing on so many levels and important on so many levels and i urge everybody to read the book and i look forward to your new book let's do this again when it when it comes out i hope so that'd be great the vietnam war claimed the lives of more than fifty-eight thousand american service members and wounded more than 150,000. and for vets like roger who served in vietnam and survived unspeakable horrors. Coming home offered its own kind of trauma. Not only were the vets treated as participants in a failed, brutal, and unwanted war, when they returned from Vietnam, they were met with governmental indifference and GI benefits that were almost non-existent. This might help explain why, according to the National Library of Medicine, Over 50,000 of them have committed suicide, and why Vietnam vets comprise over 10% of an estimated 630,000 homeless in America today. It's a legacy that needs to be corrected. Hopefully, Roger Lockshear's excellent book, We Save Sog Souls, 101st Airborne Missions in Vietnam and Laos, during the Vietnam War will help change our perception of the war. As Roger states at the end of his book, and I quote, the warriors involved in SOG were among the bravest and best this country has ever put into battle. It's time to honor these special men, including Bronze Star, Purple Heart, two-time Distinguished Flying Cross recipient and author Roger Lockshear. He's today's Hero Behind the Headlines. Heroes Behind Headlines. Executive producer Ralph Fazzullo. Produced and engineered by Mike Dawson. Music provided by Extreme Music. For exclusive content, 
please join our Patreon group at patreon.com slash heroes behind headlines.